0: You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 192 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast coming to you on November 18th. The good news is we're no longer rushing through the podcast to try and get around to playing Destiny. The bad news is we're now rushing through the podcast to try and go play Dragon Age, Roger.
0: I haven't yet played any of, even though it came out at midnight and I happened to be up at midnight. I didn't actually <laughs> play any and I've tried my damnness not to watch too much of the live streams. I've seen some that impressed the hell out of me but i haven't kept up with everything so i honestly don't know which one of these is going to be worse for taking my attention because i still enjoy bouncing into destiny all the time and playing but i was reading some people put in like over 90 hours and still aren't done with inquisition (laughs) that's all not done with one playthrough. (laughs) yeah like oh my god I, and like we loved the first two, so yeah, it's gonna be fun.
1: Mm-hmm. So, for this week's discussion, I actually had to go with plan B. Not that I didn't want to talk about these comics, I just initially had something else uh, scheduled for this week. But uh, when we get to what we're reading, we'll kind of touch on why I decided not to go to that route. However, I was able to move a comic that I have been enjoying farther up the timeline. I, not, I said, not that I never planned to talk about this, I was just. Waiting, not not for any particular reason, just scheduling reasons. But here we are with Wayward, the uh, new comic from Jim Zub, art by Steve Cummings and John Roche, that is a supernatural folk tale coming-of-age story of a young Irish girl in Japan. And as odd as that sounds, from these first three issues, at least for me, I found that the story really worked. Jim Zub, and I don't say this, Lightly
0: is such a fantastic writer, and I'm not saying this to pay any kind of fan service to him or anything because he's been on the show, it's out of respect for what he can do because he can give us absolute goofy insanity that still reasonably intelligent (laughs) but is still fantastic and then give us this kind of story steeped in japanese lore and mysticism and all kinds of stuff like that that is equally fantastic i was super impressed with this i really really enjoy this series a lot oh and she's irish japanese by the way not just irish
1: i know but for the opening blurb it
0: sounded fun so it was better to lie is what you were saying okay
1: yeah sure (laughs) what you gonna do about it (laughs) go on (laughs) in all honesty as much as i was really looking forward to the series from the minute it was announced the first issue didn't grab me I, i don't know i don't know why like i read the first issue and i was like okay that was pretty good but it wasn't until I read the second and the third issues that it like really wrapped its fingers around my throat and said, you're going to love this comic. And I absolutely did. And going back and rereading the first issue, like, I don't know, it was, maybe it was just bad timing. Like I wasn't in a good mood when I read it the first time. But yeah, I really enjoy this series. And before we get into the actual story itself, I just have to absolutely love the amount of research oh, and yes realism that had to have gone into this series and you get that if you read the backup features with which feature essays about you know japanese life both in you know modern day and breaking down the old myths that the comics are based on and it just all feels so real despite the fact that they're fighting ghosts because it's completely genuine to what it's trying to do
0: I actually preferred the first issue over the other two myself. So again, it goes to show you how subjective comics are. Um, I, the first one had me almost immediately like hooked and could not stop reading and thoroughly enjoyed the entirety of that first issue. And when she starts fighting the first band of quote-unquote villains, and they turn out to be turtle people. I'm like, oh, come on. You couldn't have thought of something better. But then you read why and that these things actually exist, and you're like, okay, these essays and things at the well, back Actually exist is kind yeah. of an odd choice. Well, you know what I mean. In the lore, <laughs> steeped in that lore. But, yeah, those the essays at the back a they're not long using the word essay is just because a that's what it is but b it's 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 not daunting to read in fact it's quite interesting and then after reading those and rereading the issue you get so much more out of it like like you said he did his research and it shows
1: Mm-hmm. And in addition to the story and everything feeling genuine, the art absolutely brings us together. It, of course, it has a great style, lots of fantastic color. But reading this comic, it puts you in Tokyo. Like the skyline, the buildings, it it does just as good of a job as the background story does of really grounding this and making it something relatable to our real world. And then that makes the supernatural elements that much more interesting on top of that. I can't add any more than that. The art was spectacular. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the actual story of the comic itself. Our main character is Rory Lane, a teenager whose father was Irish and mother is Japanese. She lived with her father for years after the her parents divorced. But as we still haven't understood why, basically her father and her don't get along anymore, well – teenage like a girl dispute. that's not entirely that hard to understand but uh, they're definitely building that there's probably something a little deeper behind well the, they actually uh, hinted,
0: the at it. They mm-hmm. hinted at troubles they hinted him having a temper and and that she's had it with uh, with that so that's the impression that you get that it's because maybe not necessarily abusive but could have been verbally abusive or whatever
1: it's the impression i got from some of the comments that are made yeah, there, there's definitely hints to exactly what's going on, but they haven't just flat out yeah. you know, told us yet. And that's that's not a bad thing. So anyway, she moves to Japan to live with her mother and instantly finds herself just out of place. As we see, just the simple fact of her red hair separates her from so much of Japanese society. You know? And she knows Japanese because she you know, grew up learning the language. But she comes to realize she doesn't know it enough (laughs) it's one thing to know a language it's another thing entirely to live in a society that uses that language exclusively so this is very much about her trying to just get along in society and on top of that weird stuff is starting to happen to her at the at the top of the story as she finds herself in japan she starts seeing like these paths and these lines that She follows, and it's just become. It seems natural to her that okay, here's this bizarre line that I can see, and she follows it. And we come to find out that much of her character has been built around you know paths and patterns. And she even says that before she even lands that it's about you know routines and bringing things together. She's it just has like an interesting mindset that obviously is somehow based in the supernatural ability of hers that she just. I don't know. We can see that there's so much going on with magic in Japan that she's somehow connected to, and it's a really interesting way of establishing her role in the story. That she just sees things and she can feel what's going on. It it definitely brings it all together through her, makes her the focal point of the story.
0: I think what Zub did such a good job at in this as well is the narrative throughout. Because it's it's that fine balance, and we've talked about this in countless episodes, of too much narrative turns in a story into a tell-don't-show, and not enough of it doesn't allow you to get into the mind of the central characters to... to feel that connection that you need to relate to the, the characters and there's the perfect balance here. So you really get to feel for her and understand what she's going through and how she's adapting to this all of a sudden, while also being told a story and seeing what's going on with, you know, her and the other character that she meets up with in the, again, quote unquote villains, magical villains that she comes up against. It's a really nice, fine balance that he, 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 threads throughout the story and it's just enough that we really instantly at least for me instantly care for this character I mean we've talked about this how many times in other comic book or other episodes as well for other comic books where we're tired of them bringing back the characters who have died time and time again and instead create something new and make us care for them it can be done if it's well written and here we see just that
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you say, as she's wandering, exploring Tokyo, she ends up in this alley and is accosted by these three weirdos who, of course, turn out to be these turtle spirits known as Kappa uh, and being rescued by Ayane, the cat girl, because, of course, there's a cat girl in it. But she's great, you know, full of energy, really fun character, great character design as well. Oh, yeah. And Rory gets gets through this battle, you know, by again, seeing the path and seeing what she has to do and causing this wall to collapse on top of them. And we see that, okay, it's, it's not just guiding her, but she has more abilities beyond that. And as we go along with the story, we can definitely see what Rory herself is capable of.
0: What I liked about this too, because you're talking about the, the, the character is that you can see the anime influence here as well. The art Mm -hmm. is not an anime style, but character designs and story, I mean, these are pink and and blue haired girls and, and things like that and the fangs on the girl and all these little anime influences that are blended in, which is a very strong Japanese way of telling a story as well. And I really dug seeing that throughout as well
1: mm mm-hmm. And once we get into issue two, this is more of what I was talking about with her having trouble fitting in now that she 's having to go to school and even like I said even though that 's her natural hair color it 's not really accepted in her particular school and their society, and she 's just struggling and this is where Zub puts in another wrinkle to the character of showing her actually cutting herself self harm and this is an issue that is very prevalent amongst a number of teenagers but is very rarely addressed in comics Mm -hmm. and i'm really interested to see just how zub handles this for the character because it's definitely a a hugely important thing i was really impressed with that i
0: it struck a nerve <laughs> we'll just leave it at that but yeah i read that and i was like wow you really don't see this a lot and it is something that is prevalent among uh teenagers and so i i was impressed seeing it in there
1: mhm and, and it you know it pops back up later where you know later on and i think it was issue 3 where she feels the urge again but isn't in a situation where she can go through it yeah it it's just really going to be uh a major part of the character that say, I I don't want to say like, I want to see how it hap- how it ends because it sounds a little morbid, but I do want no, to see no, how that's... as a writer Zub handles it.
0: Well, the thing too is that by doing this with image, he can do it in such a way that it can be, um, more honest to reality than what we would necessarily see from the big two kind of thing. So I, it was a brilliant move again, going with image so that he can stay true to what his idea is of what he'd like to tell the stories he'd like to tell. So yeah, I I, I agree.
1: Mm-hmm. And then this leads into uh, her again following her visions and her path to discover one of her classmates, Shirai, at a shrine devouring spirits (laughs) of the dead. And man, like that scene of him swallowing the spirit, like I could almost hear like the music from an anime episode. It was so well drawn, but like the, the dialogue was great. Like that was just a that was a scene like for me that was really like the breaking point in the series like okay like i'm now on board with what's going on and like i said in retrospect I enjoyed the first issue more than I thought on first reading. I said it might, it might have just been a bad day for me. And I was like, oh, let me read this great comic. And I was just like, okay, I don't care. That that, that might be more That's more on me personally than the comic itself. But this second issue is really what drove this home for me is, okay, this is going to be a great read for however many issues it goes along. Because this guy Shirai is like the most anime character yeah. <laughs> going on here. I've seen this exact character in about 17 different incarnations. <laughs>
0: The only thing I'll say with this one is that the transition from, oh, he's a villain to, oh, he's a good guy, was way too sudden for me. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I'll say. Had there been, of course, that's a pacing issue. Had there been more time for you to uh, to make that transition as a reader, I think would have been better. But, I yeah. mean, it's a small bone to pick.
1: And then, as it goes on into the third issue, Rory and Shirai come across this uh, younger boy, Nikaido, who's being fed on by this malevolent spirit. And this is where we finally get the team up of Rory, Shirai, and Ayane all coming together to rescue this kid and the forming of your, you know, super team, if you will. (laughs) And like it was done like in such a goofy way. Like they even flat out say, you know, oh yeah, we're a team now. Like. But it was it was done in that like that anime style of, okay, this is what we're doing. Everybody's come together. It's time to make this bigger and crazier as it goes on. And yeah, now that all these characters are together and seeing them playing off each other, and Nikaido's kind of creepy in his own little way, but now I'm really, really looking forward to seeing where things go from here. I do like the
0: pacing in terms of... Uh, of how long it took to put, again, the team together. It wasn't like it was all done in one issue and rushed together and you really don't have much of a connection to any of the characters. It was split across... These three issues, and there may even be more characters who join up later on. I don't know. But I think that the, the pacing for that was well enough done that you kind of care for the characters. Like, again, the little kitty girl there, you've seen her popping up a couple of times. So now, as you're getting more, more with her that shows... She's even quirkier than she appeared in the first issue. It's gonna be fun to see her in various instances. Likewise, the dynamics between the characters are really a lot of fun to read as well. So I again, yeah, I'm so friggin' digging this series.
1: Yeah, as as well as the line throughout these first three issues of establishing that there's a reason all this is happening. There's a reason, you know, these powers are manifesting. Something is fundamentally wrong in Japan right now with the magical side of things. And they said the you know the Kappa aren't supposed to be in the middle of Tokyo. We saw that other brief scene with uh, the Kitsune foxes and the weird guy with the cell phone and you know how they're hating technology and things are going on. They don't and hate finally technology you have that hate I'm Apple. not gonna I'm not gonna what's <laughs> that? They don't hate technology, yeah. do they, they hate iPhones. <laughs> Yeah, yes, you could clearly see devil. it was an iPhone. <laughs> it is the curse of us. Or what, what exactly do they call it? But yeah, I was like, "Oh, is that a Japanese Apple?" <laughs> yes, I think it was. And I, and, and I, I'm not going to give away the twist for our listeners at the end of the third issue. But those last couple pages of the third issue really drove home that this is big, this is important, this is going to be a heck of a ride going forward. Yeah. So yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. Really it is each individual issue was good in its own right. But these three issues together really tell a great opening chapter to this story. Yep. All right, then anything else to say before we move on?
0: Only get it. Honestly, get it. Okay. Pick it up. <laughs> I I am that
1: impressed with it. Really, really digging it. Yeah, fair enough. All right. As for what we're reading, as I mentioned, uh, this wasn't my initial plan for this specific episode. Originally, I thought, OK, we had three new Marvel comics come out last week. Let's talk about those. And then I read them. <laughs> Did you read uh, any of the new number ones from last week? I read The Superior Iron Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying any of them were bad in their own right. I would. Yeah, for, for OK. <laughs> For what each comic was trying to accomplish, I felt it was done well. I just don't think like as a plan for the direction of launching these new series, I don't think it was terribly well done. The the uh, the all-new Captain America, I actually really liked it. It was – the problem overall with this was them tying everything in with Axis. I think that's the biggest issue. Well, this all-new Captain America wasn't tying in with Axis at all. It was just dumping Sam into a story, you know, boots on the ground, starting running as being the new Captain America. It was a lot of great action. Just It was exactly what you need when you're establishing a new character in an old role, of just showing him being awesome. And <laughs> he goes up against Batroc the Leaper, who has always been such like a goofy off Character, but has really come around in recent years as kind of like a writer favorite to throw in there. And just the way Batrock is trash talking Sam is like, oh, you're Captain America. What does this Captain America represent? Big Macs and high cholesterol. And just it was, it was actually really funny. Like, I actually did enjoy all new Captain America. Captain America and the Mighty Avengers, not so much. It's takes place in the middle of axis so all of the characters are you know inverted they're all and I don't want to say evil but they're all darker versions of themselves like to the point where Frank Castle would look at this team and go whoa you guys need to slow down it's just (laughs) it's just for what it's trying to do I don't want to say it's poorly executed I just don't agree with the direction in general. Like, why would I want to read this team comic of a bunch of superheroes that are just acting like jerks? It, it's the same problem we have with Axis in general. Like, it's not interesting. And to launch a new series under this direction, I I just couldn't get into it. Although, the scene with Spider-Man showing back up, now that he's the one that's perfectly fine, <laughs> now that Doc Ock's gone and trying to explain himself to Luke Cage and the rest of the guys who are not interested, I did like that little scene, because... It's, it's, he's one of the only characters that's not a complete jerk right now. (laughs) And that leads into Superior Iron Man, which is the one you read, right? Yeah. All right. And Wednesday afternoon, I saw, you know, a bunch of people on Twitter were talking about how much they enjoyed the comic. And I was like, okay, cool. It's great. You know, people who only read Marvel or, you know, reading a Tom Taylor comic, we know Tom Taylor is a good writer. And it's just the entire concept of this comic doesn't work for me like in here like i think this takes place even after axis they're a little sketchy with the timeline here but it's not even like tony's a darker version of himself this he's just a straight up super villain in this comic like even when they were doing superior spider-man and you know, like, like i mentioned last week superior is marvel's code word for okay he's now a jerk but even when they were doing superior spider-man yeah, Ock was a jerk. He was going about things in the wrong way, but he was still trying to do the right thing in his own twisted way. But here in Superior Iron Man, like what what is the redeeming quality that we're supposed to follow this character for?
0: This was bad. I mean, I, and this is like you, I was hearing people say such amazing things and praising Taylor and I mean, we have praised Taylor. Time and time again with injustice, so when this was announced and people were praising it, I was like, "Okay, great, this'll be awesome to read and then I read it, and I'm like, w- what am I missing here what How could it possibly be this divided a response from what everybody else is saying to what I think of it because it was just stupid it was the whole concept was ridiculous, and then this idea and I was like, "I'll just make everybody pretty." I was like, "Oh, come on! You're kidding me, right?" It was groan worthy and just plain bad. I did not enjoy this at all, at all, at all. There was not a single redeeming thing in this at all. Yeah,
1: it's just from page one, panel one. The like, if the concept itself doesn't work, it doesn't matter you know how how hard the writer is trying like it's just not something i can be on board for not something i'm even interested in not in the least like this
0: was a waste of money i was really not impressed
1: yeah and like i said with mighty avengers you know spidey is one of the few people who's still good in the current marvel universe Which leads me into Nova, the latest issue of Nova, which is an Axis tie-in. And because Sam wasn't in Genosha, he wasn't inverted either. So he is one of the few characters who is his normal self. And it's the juxtaposition against everything else we're seeing of all these terrible heroes everywhere else. And you realize, man, Sam Alexander is a great hero. Like, did you read the, the latest Nova? No, actually I didn't. All right. Well, when they have clue the Hulk's Hulk rampaging through Arizona near his hometown. Like he's there with Steve Rogers and Spider-Man and you know, I like said the few people who aren't bad and they tell him, dude, don't know. <laughs> that's out of your level. But you know, he doesn't care. It's where his he lives, that's where his family is, and he just rushes in like a hero, stands toe-to-toe with this Hulked out version of the Hulk. And is if you just want a good superhero comic Nova is it. And then finally, uh, Nailbiter. This is a a comic I've been reading. It's been really interesting. It's this weird town in the middle of nowhere where just through no reason that's been explained to us yet, many of America's worst serial killers were all born here. And the story focuses around like this FBI agent trying to investigate just what's going on with this town. It's been really interesting seeing the story play out. But the latest issue was hilarious because it was co-starring Brian Michael Bendis. Remember when we read Powers and, you know, he wrote Ed Brubaker and Warren Ellis into cameo roles? Yeah. Well, this is now a turnaround of writing Bendis into a cameo <laughs> role where he shows up in town wanting to interview people as research for a new book he's writing. And he's going around. Nobody's interested in talking to him <laughs> until the actual nail biter shows up, who he's the you know rehabilitated serial killer that the story is focused around. And he shows up with an armful of comics <laughs> will you autograph my comics? I'm a huge fan. <laughs> the Bendis character's like, no, that's, no, get away from me. <laughs> just the way he breaks it down. He's like, we're we're not too different. You killed Peter Parker. You killed Hawkeye. <laughs> and okay. he just rattles off all the characters that Bendis has killed. <laughs> he's like, no, it's not the same. He's like, really? I think you've hurt more people personally than I have. <laughs> <laughs> this this incredible moment of levity into what has otherwise been kind of like a weird strange almost disturbing comic was great i absolutely loved that issue cool and i two others but i'll hand it over to you because i'm sure you'll cover a couple of them
0: uh, possibly um i'm assuming you have still not been reading any of the death wolverine stuff I've tapped out.
1: Okay. I I, I think the Deadpool and Captain America is probably the highlight, so I figured I'd leave it at that.
0: Much of it, as I've been saying throughout this, has been bad, and I have not been enjoying it. However, the death of Wolverine, life after Logan, issue number one, um, was really quite good. Like, really quite good. And it has a variety of writers who worked on it. Uh, Jeff Loveness, um, Joshua Hale, Phil, Philkov, Fielkov, and uh yeah, I still Pogler. never learned how
1: to pronounce that guy's name.
0: Okay, good. I don't feel so bad. But anyway, there's there's three stories, and each with a, a different art team as well. And, well, the art is spectacular. Anyways, the first one is Summers, coming to terms with the death. Because come with me. Regardless of all the crap they've been through since he killed Professor X, even a little bit before. But um, they were part of a team and they did have a strong bond, a strong relationship. And here you have this story where Scott is saying is, is remembering the crap that he's been through with him and remembering when he was going to to quit. And after Gene had died and everything and Wolverine was saying, no, you people like us, we don't get to quit. And then how he worked with Logan after Logan lost the adamantium and stuff like that. And he went up to him and says, we don't get to quit. And it was really, really well done. And then, of course, he has to figure out, okay, well, what is he going to do to honor this man? And he goes and picks a fight in a bar. And then the other story is Colossus and Nightcrawler. And they're dropping Oh,
1: well yeah, then now I have to read it.
0: <laughs> they're dropping off his sword at uh Miracle's grave. And then again it turns into a fight. So then you're thinking, okay, well I'm seeing a pattern here, but it was still fun <laughs> to read that one. Not as as well written, but fun to read. But the last one, the and again I can't stress enough the art in this entire issue, oh my god, was it ever good? And so the last one was with armor. And of course, armor has a really good relationship with, with Logan. And it is kind of like he's a paternal figure in her life. And so she is doing the same kind of thing where it's going to be another fight and you're going, oh, come on. But then you realize, no, she's in the danger room. And, mm. uh, so then she starts talking with, uh, What's the name of the guy who lost his hand, the young kid who lost his hands? Hellion. Okay, right, 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 yes. So she starts talking with him and she explains how um, her armor works and how she gets flashes of all of her ancestors and things like that because he's like being – trying to be – glib about the death and saying it's not a big deal kind of thing. And she's explaining to him how her armor works and she, how it pulls from all of her ancestors and all that. And explaining that she actually feels the same pull of Wolverine now, whenever she uses her armor, that it's that he was that important in her life. It was spectacularly well-written really. If, if nothing else in this entire Death of Wolverine and all of the tie ins and all that. The only story that really I read and went, Wow, this was amazingly well written, and the concept behind it was uh, fantastic. And everything it's this little
1: short story, so See, that's cool because Armor's always been a cool character who's been kind of forgotten about ever since they stopped publishing astonishing x-men so it's cool to see give her a spotlight again yeah so life after logan issue one i i do
0: strongly suggest you read that one it was really good i actually read the second thor because i want to know what the crap is going on here with the female thor and if it's going to be worth reading i'm going to assume you read it yes Did the whole talking like a normal person and then talking like an Asgardian after make sense to you? So basically,
1: Molnir makes people talk like Asgardians? Based on who I think the the wielder is, to an extent, because it it doesn't, it didn't seem like it was making her talk differently. It was just more like, you know, an act she was putting on. Really? Because I, I thought it was much more
0: segmented than that yeah I, really... I
1: i don't know like it, it it wasn't like okay this is great but like it, it was it was, it was at that specific aspect i was like okay i'm I'm just kind of going along with it okay yeah it was meh but whatever okay uh but it i did kick the crap it. out of some
0: frost giants so. though yeah that she did until she lost her pretty little hammer uh latest injustice
1: no i I read the last one now, but now I'm I'm still behind on this one. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) See, once again, we dissed on Tom Taylor, but here is praise because, once again, absolutely fantastic. And what I've been finding with Taylor with Injustice is that he is a master at pulling the rug out from his character's feet where something that you think is happening, you realize later it's not. And he does it in such a fantastic way that it's fun to read as well. And you buy it. It's never a, oh, I saw that coming a mile away. Yeah, you might have still seen it, but there's aspects of it that you didn't. And it's still so much fun to read. And once again, I while I don't read a crap load of Constantine, I've read some here and there over the years, and I've tried to read, like, the newest stuff as much as I could. The job he does writing Constantine is I, I would read a Taylor Constantine series set in this universe. It would be close to the top of my DC pull list, if not at the top. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. Uh, Hawkeye and Deadpool number two.
1: Did you read that one? I still haven't read number one. Seriously? I know. You'd Damn. think. I told <laughs> I you to forgetting. read it. I, I forgot. All right.
0: This wasn't as good as number one, but it was still fun to read. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, Spider-Verse, of course. Oh, of course. It was <laughs> so good. <laughs> I liked <laughs> All of the stories. I Well, the the one little one-page stupid one was ridiculous. But, I mean, even the one that looks like it was written for kids. I love this little girl. (laughs) I'm rooting for her. Petunia Parker, I think her name was. I can't remember what her name was. But it's like, my God. And May is just the best aunt ever in that one. And I loved the newspaper strip one Mm -hmm. (laughs) where he's like, what is going on? Why can't you remember what we just talked about? (laughs) (laughs) This just happened. And he clues in that uh, it's because it's this world universe where it strips and they keep repeating themselves. I thought that is freaking hysterical and brilliant all at the same time. Loved it. And then the, um, the female spider one, that was like oh, a steampunk, steampunk spider. Oh, I, my... I, we need more of her. We need a full. I, we're going to be saying this for so many.
1: Seriously. <laughs> of these Whoever's characters. alive at the end of this crossover, they all need their own.
0: They, they do. Because this is like, oh, my God. That was amazing. So freaking good. And the monk spider at the beginning.
1: Same thing. And the Megaverse Spider-Man.
0: Yeah. I want to know the story before this with him oh, and his they brother. They did Vin- publish
1: a lot of them. Did they? The uh, Marvel verse. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Dude, that mm-hmm. was freaking awesome.
1: Loved it. Um, you still just, re- a, a little ahead. bit of that, that little one-page one that was goofy. Yeah. That was actually set in the universe of the old Marvel Hostess Fruit Pie ads. Oh. Back in, I think it was the yeah. 70s, Marvel published a whole series of comics that were just giant ads for Hostess Fruit Pies that's that spider-man all right did you get <laughs> I think that's hilarious it is it
0: is it's the same thing with the strips i thought it was hysterical did you read the freaking rocket raccoons
1: yet you didn't that's what we're talking about on our next episode <laughs> ah okay <laughs> All right, then. It's it's, it's on the docket.
0: <laughs> you, but you didn't read it is what it boils down to. Fine, I won't cover the last one. Uh, but now I fully intend to. I have to. <laughs> you have to now, especially now that we said it. Uh, newest Ultimate Spider-Man as well. Kicking the crap out of yes. Osborne some more. That was... Miles this has is just been three just, issues of
1: Miles beats the crap out of the Green Goblin, and is, it's been awesome.
0: This is Miles coming into his own. Like, we thought he had already with some of the other stuff, but these issues have just been, like, Miles <laughs> taking control and just, yeah, absolutely fantastic stuff. So, I enjoyed that. Um Also, latest Nightcrawler. This is... <laughs> i it started off kind of like you're okay it'll be an interesting nightcrawler story taking them away from the morning it even addresses that at the beginning for for wolverine but we're gonna have our own kind of story and bringing back some pirate stuff and i'm going all right this is gonna be awesome and then you get to the end and it's like this dude just possessed his team and now he's gonna fight his team and freedom and i'm gonna like how many freaking times do we have to see that tired old cliche the team gets possessed and one of them has to save them all and i'm like ah for crying out loud claremont give us something more original than that i was really disappointed with that issue so yeah don't bother reading it (laughs) i'm trying to see if that was the last one i wanted to talk about i think it is yeah sure all right that'll wrap it up for me i guess
1: didn't read the latest batman No, actually, I did not.
0: Oh,
1: won't say anything (laughs) (laughs) other than that cover is amazing. Greg Capullo just knocked out of the park with the cover alone. (laughs) Forget about the following 20 plus pages. The cover was amazing. Alright then, this week's new releases Marvel brings us Amazing Spider-Man number 10, Continuing Spider-Verse We have Avengers number 38 Axis number 6, Deadpool number 37 We finally get to the long-awaited Planet of the Symbiote storyline in Guardians of the Galaxy number 21. We have Magneto number 12, New Avengers number 36 The final issue of the current arc in Powers Bureau number 12, be relaunching again soon We have Spider-Woman number 1 Uncanny X-Men number twelve. Twenty-eight and X-Force number twelve from DC. We have Batman Eternal thirty-three, Batman Superman number sixteen, Earth Two World's End number seven, and Justice League number thirty-six. Image di- <dum- laughs> Deadly Class number nine and Invincible number one fifteen from Dark Horse Predator Fire and Stone number two and from IDW we have Dungeons Dragons Legends of Baldur's Gate number two, Godzilla Cataclysm number four, and Rotten Ruin number three. So that's going to wrap us up here this week in Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. We're going to be taking next week off because it's Thanksgiving week. I'm just going to be entirely too busy at work to record a podcast. So we'll see you all in in two weeks. And until then, thanks for listening.
0: And we apologize for the bad sound this episode. We're well aware of the problems that Skype has been having with us. (laughs) Entirely Skype's fault. (laughs) In this case, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Ha <laughs>